Jesus has a way of confronting our concept of identity. Our, our concept of ourselves, our identity of ourselves, is based on many things that are religious, political, marital, many things that are broken, and yet we think we're dealing with the real us. Jesus speaks into this so powerfully in his experience with a woman at a well. And I'm going to invite all of you to stay awake. <laughs> if you have a Bible and you want to join me, and I know many don't bring Bibles anymore, but uh, hopefully you've at least downloaded something to your device so that you can. I'm going to be using the New English translation. New English translation. So you know that in your device you can bring up just about any translation nowadays using like the U version or <coughs> Bible Gateway. Uh, so if you are wanting to follow along word for word, then uh, go ahead and bring up the New English translation. I'm going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 4 of John. And what we're talking about is the best news ever. And today we're going to talk about specifically identity. Our identity. Here we go. Now when Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was winning and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and set out once more for Galilee. Did you know that Jesus will leave anywhere where there is a pharisaical spirit of comparing ministries with ministry, methods with methods? Jesus just isn't interested in us comparing one ministry with another and saying, oh, God is God is on that. Or one method with another method and oh, well, the Holy Spirit is on that. I can tell. <laughs> no, you can't tell. How about let's leave that up to God? How, let's, how about let's not participate in that pharisaical spirit because what it draws is, or what it does is it draws comparisons and it pits you against them. It creates little groups, little schisms. And, and so when Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was winning and baptizing more disciples than John, what they wanted to do was use that. See, Jesus, look there. Jesus is winning more people than John is. And it creates a spirit of division. Whenever you begin to compare ministries with ministries, methods with methods, you create a spirit of division and Jesus will leave it. Verse 4. But he had to pass through Samaria. 
travel through Samaria actually was not geographically necessary for Jesus. Let me show you what I mean here. Over on the left is a picture of uh, Palestine at the time of Jesus. And you can see how Israel is divided up into three different sections, Galilee, Samaria, and Judea. As we zoom in on that, you'll see what Jesus was dealing with. I don't know if you can see my red dot here. But he was down in Judea, and he wanted to go up to Galilee. And so the scripture says, and he had to go through Samaria. That actually is a mistranslation. Now, some favor that translation, but the truth is, is that the Jews were very familiar with the east side of the Jordan River, and they could travel that east side of the Jordan River and stay out of Samaria. Notice how Samaria specifically borders the Jordan River there, all right, and does not cross it. But if you're on the east side of the river traveling north, you can stay out of Samaria altogether, which is exactly what Jewish people did because they hated Samarians. They wanted nothing to do with them, had nothing in common with them. But our text said that Jesus had to go through Samaria. I want you to hang on to that, all right? Let's go to verse 5 and 6 here. Now, he came to a Samaritan town called Sychar. And as we go back in our, Jeff, bring that back, you'll notice where Sychar is, right there. So it's just, you know, over the border into Samaria, probably about 15 miles, because by the time he gets there, he's traveled about 30 to 40 miles on foot. So we'll pick that up here in our text. Near the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, since he was tired, one translation says exhausted and thirsty from the journey, he sat down beside the well and it was about noon. Uh, it depends on which calendar you're using and which time calendar you're using because others think that this was about six o'clock in the afternoon or early evening. Which would make sense if Jesus had already walked 30 to 40 miles on foot. There was a limit to how far you could go in a day. And, of course, travel was forbidden past a certain point. Now, what takes place following his arrival here to this well happens through the man Jesus. Not the Christ God. I love the fact that the scripture says Jesus was tired. In fact, he was exhausted. He was thirsty. Have you felt tired? Have you felt exhausted? Have you said to yourself recently, you know, I'm just hungry for something more? It's easy to blame that on your circumstances. Now, in this case, Jesus was tired because he had just walked 40 miles. Some of you are all tired. Some of you are tired 
and you haven't gotten out of the house yet and stopped watching TV. You're still in your pajamas, <laughs> and you sure haven't gone and worked out any, but you're just tired. That's a different kind of tired. Jesus got tired and exhausted because of the travel, not because of obeying God. Listen to me. Obeying God will never make you tired. We're just going to camp there for just a second. Doing God's will will never make you exhausted, tired, and thirsty. Not if you know your true identity. Verses 7 through 9, he continues, A Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me some water to drink. For his disciples had gone off into the town to buy supplies. So the Samaritan woman said to him, How can you, now watch this, How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for water to drink? For Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. Here at the well, while Jesus is hoping for a drink of water, this woman ties into an age-old conflict that still exists today. She pulls out three different identity cards to create an argument over why she personally is stuck. She doesn't recognize it. She thinks she's superior. She thinks she's superior to this Jewish man. She wants to argue with him. He's just requested a glass of water. She has the means to get that water. But she's going to create an argument based on three different elements of identity. See if you don't find these common today. Number one, race. Number two, gender. And number three, politics. And all three of these focus on what she does or doesn't have in common with this man. Her eyes are totally focused on the legalistic, religious, old covenant view of her life. She sees herself as a victim. I wonder this morning, how many of us act, live our lives as a victim And the card we want to pull out to create our argument is based on a false identity altogether. Race, gender, politics. If we allow our focus to be the religious and political systems of this world, we will operate from a colored and corrupt identity. Pastor Jeff, why don't you talk much why don't you talk more about politics? What why don't you give us more information on our president and what's going on and how to fight the good fight? Because I refuse to pull out that card and create division. Because not all of you voted for our president. Now, I believe this, he is our president. And because he is our president, I'm going to pray for him the same as I would pray for any man or woman in that office, regardless of whether I vote for them or not. But just this week on a conference call, 
sitting with a number of our apostolic leadership that are over us in the Lord. One of them related how that just in the past couple of weeks, they were in a ministerial meeting where individuals stood up and challenged the whole group of ministers to get into their pulpit, get behind the president, speak to the issues, and rally the troops that they needed to vote in such a way and that they needed to pray that the devil would get off of uh, the opposite uh, politicians, that the devil would close the mouth of those who are, who are opposed to our president, so on and so forth. And, and I, shared, I shared this apostle's view. He said, I couldn't believe I was hearing this in a ministerial meeting. I couldn't believe that they were actually saying that we should get into our pulpit and turn it in to a card of identity. Dear ones, as important as politics are, and I'll even say to you, I believe there are individuals, Christ followers, passionate believers, who are called to the kingdom of politics to make a difference, to let their voice be heard. I believe that. If you use politics as a point of identity for you to fight, for you to find your self-identity and value and worth, you will fall into a corrupt identity that's colored and that always does you a disservice. This woman here at the well did exactly that. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You're a man. I'm a woman. We have nothing to do with one another. We hate one another. Gender, politics, race. Jesus looks beyond that. Jesus goes beyond that. Look at verse 10 and 10 through 19. Jesus answered her, If you had known the gift of God and who it is that said to you, Give me some water to drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water, sir, the woman said to him. You have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Surely you're not greater than our ancestor Jacob, are you? For he gave us this well, and he drank from it himself, along with his sons and his livestock. Jesus attempts to move the revelation of who he is away from identity politics, away from race and gender, away from the arguments of the flesh that try to invade the kingdom of God and faith. He tries to move it away from there and look what she says. She's just still not getting it. Where's your bucket? <laughs> She's not getting it at all. Where's your bucket, Jesus? This woman is functioning from the paradigm of religion, performance, behavior, and right and wrong. Jesus says, look, if you knew who it was that's standing before you, if you had revelation 
of who he is and who his identity is, you wouldn't revert back to performance, to behavior, to right and wrong, to your religious notions. You wouldn't revert back to the card of politics and race and gender. You'd see who you are in him and you'd ask him for this living water. The word in the Greek for the living water that Jesus promises in this verse, in this passage, is jumping around water that's flowing like a powerful river, not just a dormant spring filled with seepage of the earth. You have a decision to make, every one of us do. Are we going to live our lives based on an identity of a well that was fashioned and dug originally on religion, performance, behavior, right and wrong, that just is seepage from the earth? Or are we going to gaze and ask God for revelation of who it is that's standing before us? Jesus, and who he's made us to be apart from all of these things. Jesus is trying to get her to see and to function from a different bucket. What bucket are you functioning from this morning? What's your paradigm of identity? Are you consumed with the news from all of the channels and from cable? Are you consumed with the arguments regarding race and gender? Do you build your case thinking it's a case for Christ on these things? Not realizing Jesus isn't going there. Jesus doesn't care about your bucket. Jesus is trying to reveal something fresh, something new, a completely new identity. And your reception of the resource is always based on the perception of his grace. Your ability to relate to and receive God's resources is based on the perception of his grace gift not on going to battle for the Lord I used to believe me in our first church this is the second church where I've been the senior pastor in the first church that I pastored for 13 years boy it was very important for me to get into the pulpit and be sure everybody understood right and wrong political choice there was a right, there was a wrong. That they understood authority and who was over them. All of these various concepts leading into this. And it was a complete misperception of the grace of Jesus Christ. I want to play a song for you. This is called Known. We're going to lower the lights. And I want to see what you think. inside me and you call me out to pull me in you tell me I can start again and I don't need to keep on hiding I'm fully known and loved by you you won't let go 
No matter what I do And it's not one or the other It's hard truth and ridiculous grace to be known Fully known and loved by you I'm fully known and loved by you It's so like you to keep pursuing To go astray Ooh, But you guard my heart With your truth The kind of love that's bulletproof And I surrender to your kindness Oh, I'm fully known And loved by you You won't let go No matter what I do it's not one or the other It's hard truth and ridiculous grace to be known Fully known and loved by you I'm fully known and loved by you How real, how wide, how rich, how high is your heart? I cannot find the reasons why you He fully knows you. Ridiculous grace. That'd be a good message title, wouldn't it? Ridiculous grace. Your thirsts are determined by where and what you've been drinking from. Your thirsts are determined by where and what you've been drinking from. Whoops. Somebody may want to run up there. Thank you, Chad. A little bit too far. I'm going to wait for just a minute before we go on to the next verse because I do want it to be on the screen uh, for our people that are viewing. I know I'm thirsty. I know I'm hungry. I know that I am empty. I know that I'm tired. I know that I'm... How many of you identify? I'm tired. I'm empty. I'm thirsty. But we look in the wrong places. We think what we fight about regarding our politics, 
will give us life. We think if we get the message of gender just right, it'll give us life. We think if we get all of the religious do's and don'ts right, it will give us that identity and that peace. And Jesus says, you're looking in all the wrong places. That's an identity I don't want you to have. Because if you drink from that well, he says in our passage, you will continue to be thirsty. Watch this. Verses 13 through 15. Jesus replied, everyone who drinks some of this water Speaking of the well, and now keep in mind, that's Jacob's well. What that well represents is old religion. And I don't, I don't mean like old before your time, just old. I mean old covenant legalism of performance-based transactional Christianity where if I do this, God will do that. And, and the message of Christ is all about behavior modification rather than that Jesus came to in him give us a completely new identity. So he says, everyone who drinks of that water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks some of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. But the water that I will give him will become a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water. He said to her, go call your husband and come back here. The woman replied, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, right you are when you have said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the man that you're living with now is not your husband. This you have said truthfully. Do you know that even your marriage, you can bring it into the conversation. You can feel like you're a victim. Or maybe you're on top. You've got it all right. You've got it all figured out. But Jesus says even your marriage isn't your identity. God doesn't look. God doesn't judge your identity on who you're married to. Boy, what a common mistake we make. And so many couples make, especially young couples that are just entering into a serious commitment today, thinking that marriage is going to be a solution, thinking that this is how God will bless me and complete me. Boy, if you enter into marriage thinking that God's going to complete you through marriage, you're going to have the greatest disappointment of your life. Somebody said marriage is 50-50 commitment. Actually, no, it's not. It's 100-100%. And if you're, looking, if you're looking for somebody to complete you, here's what will happen. When you get into marriage or that committed relationship with them and you find out that they are not healthy either, now we just have two unhealthy people. We don't have a healthy marriage. They didn't complete you. We have two unhealthy people. God's idea of marriage is when a healthy person a healthy person who loves Christ and understands their true identity in Christ and that their identity comes from nowhere else finds a second person, a, a, another person, a spouse who is also healthy in their identity 
and that their identity isn't dependent on anything or anyone. I am no one's victim. I'm not a victim of politics or gender or religion or race or marriage. I am healthy in who I am in Jesus Christ. When two people like that come together, now you have a healthy marriage. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on, watch this now. Our fathers worshipped, she's going to bring in the last card, the last identity card that she can pull. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you people say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You people worship what you do not know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming and it is here now. This isn't in the by and by when we get to heaven after we die. It is here now. Jesus inaugurated his kingdom and this kind of identity, this well of water, this life spring of water, he inaugurated it when he was here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such people to be his worshipers. God is a spirit, and the people who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. The one called Christ, whenever he comes, he will tell us everything. Jesus said to her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Would you just somehow do a gesture to your heart? That you're taking your heart. Jesus we don't want to identify with the kingdoms and the systems of this world. We want to identify with who you made us to be. We're tired of being continually thirsty for something out there that we're trying to get and it never satisfies. Would you tell the Lord that right now? Lord, I'm thirsty, but I'm not looking for something that won't satisfy. Go ahead, just admit to him, you've been thirsty, you've been tired, you've been in a place where you're trying to identify with what is real. But you know it's not out there. All right, so here's the next part of the prayer. Would you say this after me? I'll say it first, you say it after me. Jesus, Jesus. reveal yourself to me. Number two, Jesus, reveal to me who you made me to be in yourself. You see, Christianity is not a new religion. Jesus did not come to start a religion. Jesus did not come to take over the world. He's not doing war with the systems 
or the kingdoms of this world, race, gender, politics, marital, or what have you. He's just not interested. His identity supersedes all of it. He is, after all, king of kings and lord of lords. There's just no argument, see? There's just no argument, so he's not going to go there. What he does is he doesn't invite us into an argument. He doesn't invite us into a group or divide us. Oh, you go to that church. Well, they're really powerful. They, they really do things in the spirit. They lay hands on the sick. They, they cast out devils. They're, real, they're really, uh, that church over there, you know, they just, they don't have it. They don't. How dare you compare? How dare you bend and lower yourself to participate in, in identity politic, identity kingdom reference? <clears throat> like that. There is one thing that identifies me. His name is Jesus. There is one water that satisfies me and quenches my thirst. It is Jesus. There is one thing, only one, that will lift me out of the systems of this world and behavior modification and being under the thumb of being a victim, thinking I'm a victim, and that's knowing who I am in Jesus. You don't get your identity from religion, marriage, politics, the Me Too movement, a tattoo, your race, or your gender. And I, I mention tattoo only because it, it, it's such a current thing to do. I'm not against it. Please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. In fact, I, I even looked it up. I even did some study on tattoos. I've never done this in my life. I don't have any tattoos, not interested in getting any, but I know a lot of people who do, including family members. God bless you. That's wonderful. But I just didn't know that much about tattoos. So I actually did some study on it, looked it up, found out some things about it. Did you know that, that tattoos aren't like painted on the skin with some sort of ink that just lasts forever? That was sort of my idea. You, you have tattoos, Patrick. I think you, you have some awesome tattoos. Yeah. Uh, you probably know the process. I, I've never had one, so I didn't know. I, I just thought that, that somehow that, that needle was doing something to your skin that, that was making that ink permanent. It couldn't wash off. And, and why do people get tattoos? Well, they get them for a variety of reasons. Most people will tell you that, well, it tells a story. It tells a story of something that I identify with that's very important to me, right? That's what they'll tell you. Number one, do your own study on this. Now, I found out that that needle that's being used isn't actually a single needle. There's five needle heads in that one needle that's poking the skin, five different needles. Some or more, they go up to seven, eight, or nine now. And what's happening is that needle, they showed it in slow motion. They showed it puncturing the skin. They slowed it down way, 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 way down. Because this, of course, is happening. You know, you can't even see it happening. But they, they filmed it and they slowed it down. And they showed those five needles poking the skin all at once. And what it's doing is inserting this ink under your skin. And it's very bright and colorful. And what makes those 
colors stand out is that uh, for somebody who's light-skinned or white, then they come and they show through your light skin. If you're dark-skinned, well, they use different inks so that, again, it will stand out. And there's certain colors and inks they don't use on a dark-skinned person because it won't show up. Why do tattoos fade over time? Because, listen to this, your body actually treats that insertion of that ink under your skin as an alien uh, thing being inserted, something to attack and fight, just like a virus, just like disease. And so the white blood cells go after it. But because the ink is so much larger than the white cells, once it's put in there, the white cells aren't able to remove it. That explains why your tattoos fade over time because the white cells of your body keep attacking it as long as they can because they won't give up the fight of removing this alien thing from your body. And your point is? <laughs> See, I knew you were going to ask. I knew you were going to ask. We spend a lot of money. Do you know that getting a tattoo costs between $100 and $300 an hour? I saw images of people that were tattooed where people were standing like this, big, nice, burly man, big. And even below his waistline, it was, it was like a canvas. His entire body had been tattooed. You may have seen pictures or know individuals who have had tattoos that extensive. And, and that's the idea of it, is that your body is a canvas. And, and so this art is going on to the canvas of your body. But think about how long it took, how many hours to do the detail. And some of this stuff is beautiful. This artwork is absolutely gorgeous. It's beautiful. There's people that have their entire body, every surface. How much money did you spend on that? How many hours? What kind of discomfort did you go through? And were you aware it's all going to fade? Here's what I'm saying. I don't care if you get a tattoo on your eyeballs or not. I don't care if you get one on your forehead, your earlobes, or any other, where, any other place. That is your business. I'm not for it. I'm not against it. Here's what I'm against. That that tattoo would become for you a point of identity. Whereas you believe that that thing is an expression of meaning for your life. That without it, somehow you're not complete. That's why I chose it, because it's so common today. It's a multi-billion dollar, bordering on trillion dollar business today. And I'm here to tell you that getting your identity from religion or marriage or politics or the Me Too movement or a tattoo or race or your gender will always leave you thirsty and never able to really relate who Jesus called you to be if that's where your motive is if that's where your identity is 
Jesus is pursuing you so you can stop hiding. God pursues us in our mess. If you go back to verse 4, do you remember? I told you to hold on to that one point. Do you remember it says that, and Jesus had to go to Samaria, through Samaria. Actually, he didn't. He didn't have to. He could have, could have followed the eastern Jordan route and skipped Samaria altogether. Do you know why Jesus went through Samaria? To meet that woman. God has a plan for your life. No matter where you live, no matter where you're hiding, no matter how broken you might be, God is going to pursue you. God is going to come to where you are in the middle of your mess. Could we just again, could you lift a hand? Or just raise your heart in some way, thoughtful way, intentional way right now, even if you don't, if you don't want to lift your hands or find that uncomfortable in any way or just don't want to, that's fine. Would you lift your heart right now? Jesus, here we are. Set us free from finding our identity in anybody, anything, any message, any movement outside of you. You alone are my identity. You alone. The mess that you are hiding isn't the identity that God knows you by. You are fully known, ridiculously loved, and Christ now is your new identity. The Bible says that you have been placed in Christ, that he is in you, and together you are in the Father. I'm so thankful that my identity doesn't rest in anything or anyone except for Jesus. The author of the mirror translation, a day after this conference call, this apostolic conference call that I was on, that was so enlightening and so incredibly revealing, He posted this on his Facebook page. This is the author, Francois Dutois, of the Mirror Bible. You would think that he was sitting in on our meeting. You would think he knew I was going to talk about this today. Truth has found a very lovely and loud voice. Even in whisper language, darkness is not dispelled by debating politics or religion. Light dispels darkness effortlessly. Light is so irresistibly attractive and oh so needed where darkness has found such a presence in societies across the planet. The mission of Jesus was not to begin a Christian religion or a Christian political party or to win votes against Caesar or the Sanhedrin. He came to exhibit the image and likeness of the invisible God in the most visible possible way, human life. 
Not as a display window, but as a mirror. Oh, for the nations to awaken to their true value and to their redeemed innocence and identity. The authority of the Christ life. And the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, even as the waters cover the sea. And all flesh shall see it together. These are truly exciting times we live in, where the best efforts of our kingdoms and our governments are exposed to be castles built on sand. The fruit of the ponderous system, hardships, labors, annoyances, the knowledge of good and evil, tree, and the very foundation of the systems of this world are crumbling. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you, and the nation shall come to your light, and their leaders to the brightness of your rising. Could we stand? Stand with me.